Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. Today I want to begin our discussion around the sixfold sphere. The sixfold sphere provides an account of the cognitive functioning of the six sense faculties eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, an analogous mind sense, and an understanding of the role of the senses in cognizing the world and sustaining the samsaric condition. It shouldn't surprise us that contact depends critically on the five senses, but significantly acknowledging this role allows the Buddha to re-envision contact. The teachings on the sixfold sphere allow us to step back from the common sense but problematic presumptions associated with contact about natural reality and the natural attitude that we examined critically in the last talks. We'll now call contact as a relationship between self and other naive contact. For the Buddha is about to give us an alternative definition of contact as an impersonal, productive, cognitive process. We'll call this sense contact. The The six six classes classes of contact contact should be understood, understood, dependent dependent on the the eye and appearance, eye cognizance arises. The meeting of the three is contact. As for eye and appearance, so for ear and sound, nose and odor, tongue and flavor, body and tangibles, mind and phenomena. The idea behind this definition is that the world as we experience it originates when the respective sense faculty, ear for instance, meets the respective type of sense impression sound, and this gives rise to the sense cognizance of the same object, for instance, a bird. In summary, eye contact arises when eye plus appearance gives rise to eye cognizance. Ear contact arises when ear plus sound gives rise to ear cognizance, and so on. The process described here is without presumption in contrast to naive contact to the extent that each factor is verifiable in experience. We're aware of visible appearance, for instance, shapes and colors, prior to full cognizance of an object. And we're aware of the involvement of the eye, which will be explained in a minute, And we're aware of cognizance, the bird. Contact is no longer a relationship between self and other, rather a relationship between two modes of awareness, appearance and cognizance, mediated by a sense faculty. 
In short, this account is cognitively coherent and impersonal. The factors related to each of the sense faculties constitute a sphere, the eye sphere, the ear sphere, and so on, giving us a six-fold sphere. Sometimes each sphere extends to include processes conditioned by sense contact within that sphere. The six classes of feeling should be understood. The six classes of craving should be understood. We recognize the links of dependent co-arising that lie downstream from contact, feeling, and craving. The spheres, therefore, look like this. The eye sphere includes eye, appearance, eye cognizance, eye contact, feeling, craving, and so on. The ear sphere includes ear, sound, ear cognizance, ear contact, feeling, craving, and so on. The Pali for sixfold sphere is Salayatana, Sal six and Ayatana sphere. Often we find this translated as the six sense bases. The six spheres are eye sphere, the ear sphere, the nose sphere, the tongue sphere, the body sphere, and the mind sphere. The Pali word for sphere is ayatana. Like its English translation, it suggests a space or location or a realm of activity. Eye, ear, and so on are themselves sense faculties, indriya, each serving the cognitive function of mediating between a sense impression and an object of cognizance. The sense faculties are also called by themselves the inner ajatika sphere, and the sense impressions, appearance, sound, etc., are called the outer bahira sphere, echoing the duality of naive contact, but without a full-blown object and without requiring a self in the inner sphere. The sixfold sphere is a hugely important teaching found throughout the early discourses. It arrays the various cognitive processes to make explicit the foundational role of sense perception as the basis for all human cognition. Moreover, it's considered to be an, an exhaustive account of the phenomenal world, referred to as the all. And what bhikkhus is the all? The eye and appearances, the ear and sounds, the nose and odors, the tongue and tastes, the body and tangibles, the mind and mental phenomena. This is called the all. If anyone bhikkhus should speak thus, having rejected this all, I shall make known another all. That would be merely empty boast on his part. We're more poetically into the point. In the six, the world has arisen. In the six, it holds concourse. On the six, themselves depending. In the six, it has woes. The sixfold sphere as the origin of contact. The sixfold sphere includes, at its core, a cognitively justifiable explanation of how sense contact arises 
as consciousness of a fully constituted object that also meets the criteria of being within the realm of experience. Naive contact is how the arising of sense contact is presumed as a relation between self and other on the basis of the common sense natural attitude. In particular, naive contact is what happens when we allow the self to sneak in. Equivalently, sense contact is naive contact stripped of the illusion of self and other, much like fog is a cloud stripped of the illusion of being a solid, bounded thing. It's the nature of conditionality of the sixfold sphere gives rise to contact. What is the I? The I is at the heart of understanding the sixfold sphere and its role in dependent co-arising. An I and visible appearance are dangerous things. For simplicity, we'll proceed with reference to the I unless otherwise noted, with the understanding that the ear, nose, tongue, body, and oft-times mind are analogous. We've seen that the I is that which, together with appearance, in the visual field produces an object of cognizance, that is, I plus appearance gives rise to I cognizance. Most people, if asked, would describe the I in physical terms before describing its cognitive function, taking the ophthalmologist's perspective of a round white ball with an iris and pupil embedded along with its partner in the middle of the face. But this is not our everyday, all-day experience of the eye as something we wield to gain cognizance. Rather, the eye is a probe comparable to a thermometer, an oscilloscope, even a Mars probe. It's something that we place into a sense field where sense data can be elicited. Visual, auditory, temperature, pressure, electrical, and then it returns meaningful intelligence, a temperature reading, a three-dimensional MRI scan, DNA sequences, etc. We can think of the eye as something that translates sense data into the conscious experience of an object. It explains how a simple, raw experience produces cognizance of a full-blown object. This is actually a tall order for the eye to accomplish. For instance, a small red shape within a bright color scheme is apparent within the visual field and cognizance of a bird, a cardinal, a full-fledged 3D living, breathing object in the world arises. And that seems so real and is located right out there in the outer world. The full-fledged object gives rise to pleasure, but probably not craving in this case. Likewise, a hissing sound is apparent in the auditory field, and the ear gives rise to cognizance of a snake, also full-fledged and right near where I'm standing, giving further rise to displeasure, then fear as a mode of craving, and ultimately to a physical response of assuming a startled expression and jumping backward two feet. The eye is a cognitive event 
that arises in response to an appearance, a mode of awareness, and that gives rise to cognizance, another mode of awareness. As with other cognitive events, the I arises and then disappears momentarily. Just as a camera is something a photographer wields to preserve the contents of a visual field for later inspection, the function of the eye uh, does involve a physical eye, which we experience as something positioned in space that we can control and adjust to serve the cognitive function of, of being a probe. We can open it or close it, point it in a different direction, or position it strategically to get a better view. And this makes a difference in the object of cognizance that is produced. We hear a growl on the other side of a fence, ear contact followed by fear. Decide to walk to the fence, stand tiptoe to position the physical eye over the top of the fence to discover the source of the growl, where eye and appearance events then arise to produce cognizance of a bear. We've placed our visual probe into a particular position, a visual field, and it returned needed intelligence, on the basis of which we can plan future actions. What's immediately notable about the translation function of the eye is how far it overreaches. A red, round shape in the visible field produces a rubber ball, something I can pick up and bounce off the wall. A bark in the auditory field, maps into a complete three-dimensional dog, my dog, with a known name, Fido. George Berkeley, some 300 years ago, wrote, When I hear a coach drive along the street, immediately I perceive only the sound. But from the experience I have had that such a sound is connected with a coach, I'm said to hear a coach. He's got it. Clearly, there must be a lot of know-how built into the eye and a vast reserve of previous experience informing its best guess about what is going on out there. In fact, the eye would be quite useless in the absence of past conditioning. It would never make any sense beyond the visual appearances itself, the shapes and colors with which it started. It would have to know that people eat with their mouths, that earth is down and rough, and sky is up and blue, that houses enclose people, that dogs propel themselves with four feet, and so on. It's well established in cognitive science and neuroscience that tasks like visual processing must integrate bottom-up and top-down processes to arrive at an interpretation of the input. Bottom-up is when the eye uses the incoming visual data from the retina to formulate a theory about what is out there. Top-down is when the eye tries to confirm a cognitively inferred theory about what is out there against the shapes and colors of appearance. Either requires prior knowledge and context. The connectivity of neurons in the brain also indicates that this is what is going on, with far fewer neurons providing ocular input to the visual cortex 
than the number of neurons from other areas of the brain. Similarly, it's often reported that if a long blind person's eyesight is restored surgically, they will become immediately aware of appearances but are unable to perceive objects for some time until they accrue the necessary conditioning. Top-down processing is for the most part conditioned by learned patterns that make the context familiar. Think of how easy it is to recognize faces or the face of someone we are most intimately connected with. As an example of the acquired dispositions of the eye, where the farmer might see a cow, say, the hunter might see a moose. Where the shopkeeper might see broken glass, the jeweler might see spilled diamonds. Where the farmer might see a fertile field, the realtor might see an excellent home site, and the child might see a playground. The eye, and so on, is conditioned to see in certain ways based on a history of past experience. Notice with regard to these examples, we have expressions in English like as seen through the eyes of a stockbroker that capture just this insight. In Buddhist terms, we sometimes call the body of such learned dispositions that have accumulated dependent on previous actions or perceptions, old kamma, which then in turn becomes a critical determinant of how the world is experienced in the present. We'll look at old kamma in more detail when we discuss the formations link in a few talks from now. The Buddha accordingly draws the connection between the I and old kamma, and, and what, what bhikkhus is old kamma, the eye is old kamma, to be seen as generated and fashioned by intention, as something to be experienced. As for eye, so for ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. This is called old kamma. A note with regard to the six spheres. Each of the five physical sense faculties has its own sense field and can't experience that of another. Visual appearance and sound are quite distinct. However, cognizance produced in one sense sphere is not necessarily distinct from cognizance produced in another. The same dog can be both eye cognizance and ear cognizance. Cognizant of the dog behind the sofa, we might not even remember if we first saw or heard it. Nonetheless, in one place in the suttas, it's mentioned that mind is one faculty that has the capacity to collate data from different sense spheres. Okay, I'll stop here for now, and next week we'll finish talking about the sixfold sphere, specifically about subject and object. 